Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. So in a little bit, these graduates are going to come on the stage and um, introduce themselves to you via video. And they're going to tell their name. They're going to say where they uh, graduated from. And then they're going to answer the most asked question of every graduate. What now? What now? And so they're going to say their plans for the fall and what they plan to do after high school, whether it's college or military or the workforce. And as they do, many of you in here are going to say, that is so cute that they think they have it figured out, that they think they know what's going to happen after high school. Now, um, if you see them chuckling, students, they really do support you and they love you. But what they know is that sometimes, even after high school, even after college, even later in life, that we all find ourselves asking that same question, what now? Because see, what happens is life does not always go as we have planned. Sometimes there's curveballs thrown at us. And there's things that happen that we just didn't plan on. There's career changes. There's sickness. There's cancer. There's death. There's hard times. There's months that the bills are greater than the income. And you find yourselves even later in life saying, what now? What are we going to do? So what I want to do for you graduates today I want to leave you with one final challenge, and really it's a reminder, when times get hard, when life is crazy, when things are unpredictable, when you're asking yourself later in life that question, what now, when life is uncertain and doesn't make sense, let's go back to something that does make sense, let's go back to something that doesn't change, that is always the same, and that's the truth from God's word, and let's go back to some biblical truths that we can count on no matter what. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, pretty early in the story here, And if you don't have your Bible or if you don't have an app, you can follow along on the screens. But what's happening here, we know in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that God made mankind the prize of his creation in his image. And we know that God said, follow me, abide in me, have relationship and fellowship with me, and I will bless you wildly. In fact, God said, there's just one thing don't do. And it was that very thing that mankind did do, and at that time centered into the world and began to decay the world. And at that time, mankind started experiencing the consequences of their disobedience. Things quickly decayed. It got really bad to the point where God said, I can't take this anymore, and I'm going to wipe away the earth And there was one family. He said, this is the best that humanity has to offer. I'm going to spare this family. And y'all know the story of the flood and Noah on the ark. Well, the best humanity had to offer, just 40 days later, gets off the boat and immediately demonstrates 
just how sinful and just how wrecked the human race was. It was at this point that God began to very clearly define and explain the greatest rescue plan ever. Because it was at this point that God begins to establish a covenant, a promise, and he raises up a people and a nation. And he said, I'm going to reveal myself through you. And we know that later on, all that he promised was perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh. Because see, mankind was wrecked. Man's sin separated man from God. There was nothing man could do to pay the debt of sin. So God said, I'm going to do something about this. And so he took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus on the cross paid a penalty in death that he did not deserve for us who did deserve it but could not afford to pay it. When we pick up in Genesis chapter 12, we see an important part early in this story where God calls Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham, and he makes him a wonderful, wonderful promise. So in Genesis chapter 12, in verse one, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the oak at Morah, and at the time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram, he built an altar there, and he dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and he dedicated that to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. So what's happening here? Some of you parents of graduates, y'all kind of call verse one there. Maybe you're still hanging out on that. Where God said to Abram, some translations say literally, it's time for you to leave your father's house. Some of you parents are like, amen, brother, preach it. It's time for you to move on. It's time for you to get to stepping, get to walking, and moms are probably hitting them while they're crying already about this. But God appears to Abram at 75 years old, and he says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your father's household I want you to leave everything that's comfortable to you, everything that's familiar to you, and I want you to set out and follow me because I want to take you somewhere you've never been before. And then he, it, it comes with a promise. He says, follow me, and I want to bless you wildly 
and I want to make you a great nation. Now, let me tell you why this is such a ridiculous notion. In the previous chapter, we learned that Abram's wife, Sarai, she was barren. She could not have children. And God is saying to Abram, at 75 years old, follow me. I want to bless you wildly. And as a part of that blessing, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply your descendants. Can you imagine this scenario here? Abram before God. Say, what, God? You want me to follow you? Not even knowing exactly where I'm going, you want me to leave everything I know, in essence, to give up his family blessing, in essence, to give up his inheritance, and to start walking, trusting that God is not only going to take him somewhere, but God is going to do something crazy and make him a great nation. We see that Abram must choose what to do. And how he chooses makes all the difference in the world. His choice was to abandon what was familiar for something illogical, but something rooted in a promise of God. What Abram learned right here is something really that all of us are faced with. He learned that the offer is great, but the cost is significant. I will bless you. I will make you famous. I will make you a great nation. Man, God, that sounds good. But you got to give up everything you know and trust me in order to receive it. See, I think there's a lot of people today who kind of don't understand this proposition that Jesus tried to make very plain on a hillside one day full of people. And Jesus starts talking about the cost of discipleship. Man, the crowds are gathered around. Jesus was a bit of a rock star. He's performing miracles. All, all this cool stuff is happening. And people are like, I want in on that. And Jesus starts talking about the cost of discipleship. And he says, if you want to follow me, you got to give up everything. And you got to pick up your cross, forsake all, and follow me. Well, the crowd started thinning out a little bit here. Hold on, Jesus, can't we get back to the blessings and the, the stuff and the miracles? Can't we get back to that? See, I think there's a lot of people that hear about the blessings of God, the provision of God. Uh, there's a lot of people sitting in churches that hear, okay, so you mean I can come before God and what he did in Jesus and I can trust him and I can choose him and I can trade my shame and my regret and my sin for, for eternal life and abundant life in Jesus? And so they raise a hand and they say, sign me up. How do I do this? But they really don't want to hear about forsaking all and giving up everything to follow Jesus. Well, Abram chose to trust God. And when he did... He saw the first truth that obedience leads to blessing. He gave up his plans, his stuff, his comfort, and he trusted God. Well, we too have a choice. 
we too have a choice to make. Do we trust God when he calls us to follow him? We like the easy version of that, of what we can get from God, but do we really trust God? Sometimes I think we forget the first prayer that most of us learned as children. God is what? Great. God is. And we forget that. And we want to get in on the greatness of God, but sometimes in following him, we forget about the goodness of God. Abram chose to trust God. How do we know that he trusted God? In verse four, it says this, so Abram departed as the Lord has instructed. What was the evidence of his faith? Abram started walking. See, it's one thing to say, oh, I trust you, Lord. I trust God. God is good all the time. All the time, God's good. And God says, follow me. God calls us into the unknown. God calls us to trust him when life doesn't make sense. And he says, come on, follow me. And we're kind of like, but I trust you, Lord. I, I trust you. God is good. If we really trust God, that is evidenced and that is activated by our steps of obedience. Abram displayed his trust by walking. When he responded in obedience, we saw that obedience leads to blessing. Students, when life doesn't make sense, when you don't know what to do, what that next step is going to bring, you can always trust the word of God. Several years ago, I had a student, I was in Columbia and I had a student sitting on about the third row, wearing a cap and wearing a gown just like you were. And this guy had experienced a ton of adversity. Life had not gone as planned. He had challenges, he had loss of loved ones, he had all this adversity to overcome. And he said, you know what, I'm not just gonna sit here and say that I trust God, I'm gonna take a step. And I'm gonna honor God and sure I have plans and I have dreams, but you know what? I'm gonna go wherever God wants me. And it's so cool that sitting in the back, somewhere back there is Tyler Renew, a former student of mine that through incredible adversity, trusted God. He just finished rookie mini camp uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, parents, if you want someone for your kids to look up to, and to follow and hang his poster on your wall, check out number 39 for the Atlanta Falcons, Tyler Renew. Because this is a young man that said, I refuse to compromise. I am gonna trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Man, I'm so glad you're here, dude. I love you and I appreciate the example that you've been to so, so many people. Abram discovered that obedience leads to blessing. And when he responded in obedience, God did something Abram never could have done on his own. As he gave up that which was known and familiar and said, God, I trust you no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter what happened, he discovered a future beyond what he ever could have imagined on his own. See, obedience always leads to blessing. Students, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you choose to follow Jesus, you will get stuff. And anyone who tells you that is lying and they don't understand the blessings of God. Now, you may realize the blessings of God in the physical realm, but the, the most awesome blessings of God come in a spiritual 
sense. Being blessed does not mean that you will not have trouble. You will not face hardships. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said, be assured of this. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. And what it does mean is that God's blessings will help you to realize the truth of Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When God says, follow me, guys, you can walk with confidence because God can be trusted to deliver everything that he's promised. So many people, I think, are missing out on the blessings of God because the fear of obedience has paralyzed them. Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, For even, but even more blessed are those who hear the word of God and then they put it into practice. Students, don't miss out on all that God has on you because you're paralyzed by fear. There's a, a, a TV show, I'm sure y'all have nothing, y'all, y'all know nothing about But some of your parents may realize, because they were raised on this like me, a TV show called The Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all remember that show, The Beverly Hillbillies? All right, help me out. Uh, It's a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family. But then one day he was shooting at some, and up from the ground came a bubbling crew. These students are like, what are y'all talking about? It's a story about a hillbilly that lived in the the sticks, and one day he's shooting, he's hunting, shooting something, and the bullet hits the ground, and all of a sudden, uh, oil starts coming out of the ground. So all of a sudden, he realizes, man, I am wealthy, I'm rich, and they move to Beverly Hills, and you can catch up on it, catch some reruns, it'll bless your heart to watch this. (laughs) Granny in the back of the vehicle, on a little rocking chair on the car. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) let me ask you a question if you're familiar with the Beverly Hillbillies. When, at what point was Jed Clampett rich? See, I think a case could be made that he was rich all the time, but he had never tapped into the wealth that he was literally sitting on top of. See, I think the Beverly Hillbillies could be a metaphor for my life at times, not just because I'm from Sumter, South Carolina, and there's some similarities there, you know? By the way, if you go to Sumter, you know how men's rompers are apparently a thing now? You go to Sumter, we had the original rompers there. They were called overalls, you know? And you see them a lot. I think it's a metaphor for my life in this. I think sometimes I don't realize the wealth and the fullness and the richness that is afforded to me as a child of God. And I live spiritually poor because I refuse to tap into all that God wants to do in my life. See, as we look at Abram's life, I think it's important to notice two things that serve as important symbols for his life. In the second half of the passage we just read, the first one was this, a tent. The tent for Abram was a symbol of his mission, his pilgrimage. When he chose to be obedient to God, he picked up his tent. And he said, this 
is where I'm headed now. He picked up his tent, not knowing where he was going, but knowing it was going to be a journey. He might be gone a while. The tent became a symbol for the mission of which his life was now on. He didn't know what tomorrow would hold, but he knew he was on mission for God. He didn't know what was going to happen the next day, but he trusted the one with whom he was following and with whom he was being obedient to. Dr. David Jeremiah said, if the tent was a symbol of Abram's life, the secret of his life was an altar. We see that as he follows God, he not only has his tent, he not only realizes I'm on mission for God, but everywhere he stopped, he began to build an altar. The altar represents fellowship with God. Now notice as he begins this journey, as he sets out, not knowing what tomorrow holds, he is very intentional every step of the way, every stop of the way to fellowship with God. He's not just out here looking for the hand of God. God, what's next? What's next? Uh, what are you going to provide? How are you going to handle this situation? He's concerned about seeking the face and the heart of God. That's why your pastor, Pastor Chuck, stands up here week after week after week and tells you, don't forget the resources on, on our app. Don't forget the daily aha. That's why your pastor every day for over a year has not missed a day putting out a daily blog. That's why he invests so much time in the daily aha and says, just begin your day. G give 15 minutes to the Lord. Seek his face. Meditate on him. Meditate on the truth of his word. And it really will bring your life into focus. Why does he say that over and over and over again? Because he knows the importance of seeking the face of God, not just the hand of God. He knows that if we're abiding in Christ, we don't have to worry about what's around the next corner because God is always good and you are always loved. So Abram gets it right when he starts his journey. Man, he's got his tent. I'm on mission for God. He's got his altar. I'm going to fellowship with God and worship God and abide in him every step of the way. But we see the story begin to take a turn in verse 10. Let's look at this together. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. And as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him so we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister, then they will spare my life and treat you well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? 
Why did you say she's my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her, get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered the men to escort him with all of their possessions out of town. So here's what happens. Man, he's following God, got his tent, got his altar. Things are good. And life happens. Something that was not in the script on the graduate video. A famine comes into the land and Abram begins to experience a little bit of hunger in his life. And immediately what he does is he says, "Uh uh-oh, it's about time. Maybe I need to help God out. Uh, God, maybe we need to rethink this plan because you got me walking in this direction and you got me walking into a famine. How about I head in that direction where there's no famine and surely that's the best thing to do. So he heads in that direction and we see quickly things start to deteriorate. He sought his own plan to take care of his future. He leaves the land that God had led him to and as he's approaching Egypt, he starts digging a hole that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Not only had he abandoned the direction in which God was leading him, when he gets close to Egypt, he said, oh, we're gonna have a problem here. Now, this is probably, guys, a pretty good compliment to give your wife. He says, we got a problem. What's the problem, Abram? Girl, you are so beautiful. When they see me, they're liable to kill me. You're so beautiful. And he starts worrying, Uh uh-oh. Man, my wife is so gorgeous, I'm about to get cut up in here. I'm about to get jumped, so let's come up with a plan. Let's tell everyone you're my sister and not my wife. And as the story goes, of course, everyone thought she was beautiful. They thought she was his sister. Pharaoh calls her into the palace, takes her as a wife, plates come on him. Pharaoh calls Abram in and said, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Students, there may be a time in college, hopefully not, but there may be a time in college where you have to call home and you will hear your father or your mother or your grandparent say to you, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? I don't know. I thought it was a good idea. And you see what I I thought, I thought, and they're going to say, stop it. Stop it. What are you doing? And Pharaoh says, man, you got to get your junk straight and get to walking back the other way. He said, you don't cause enough trouble here. Get out of here. So he sends Abram and Sarai and all of his people with all of his stuff and he sends them out. He understands here the second truth that compromise always leads to consequences. When he began to compromise in his obedience to the Lord, when he began to compromise his faith for what he thought might best fit the situation and what everyone else was doing, well, everyone else is going to Egypt. Why not? That's the thing to do. 
Everyone else is worshiping on pagan altars. Why not? That's the thing to do. When he began to compromise, he started to realize the consequences that came with it. I think most of what is wrong with our country today is the result of compromise. We've compromised truth. We've compromised conviction. We've compromised the word of God. And what this world needs, students, is a generation of young leaders who refuse to compromise, who won't worship on the altar of pagans just because everyone else is doing it. We begin to see the sad consequences of Abram's compromise. We see in his story right here that he loses some things and he also gains some things. Well, what did he lose? What did he gain? The first thing he lost is he lost opportunity. He lost time with God. I tell students all the time who call me in college, "Uh uh-oh, Treb, I messed up, man. I messed up. I don't know how I ended up here. I, I, I just feel so distant from God. What do I do? And I remind them, no matter how many steps you walk away from the Lord, it only takes one step to get back to him. And that is... That is good news. But you know what, students? That is also not a license to go say, okay, like a lot of students do, I'm going to put my relationship with God on the back burner. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my thing. And then four years from now, I'll take that one step back to God. Let me tell you why that's tragic. Number one, if that is your attitude, you do not understand the grace of God. You cheapen what happened on the cross if you treat it that way. Second of all, let me tell you what's tragic the time that you lost with God, the time that you lost in fellowship with him, the time that you lost abiding in him, the time that you lost experiencing the richness of the blessing of abiding in him and knowing your savior. He lost time. He also lost his testimony, his influence. How in the world was he to be an ambassador How in the world was he to be a witness to Pharaoh who he just tried to hustle? What did he gain? Well, we see when he left Egypt, he had someone with him named Hagar. And if you know the story, you know that gaining Hagar in this process ended up destroying and really messing up his family in a lot of ways. What else did he gain? His nephew Lot who he was caring for, who looked up to him, who he was a spiritual mentor to. We see that Lot developed a taste for Egypt. See, on the way to Canaan, Lot had tents and altars, and when he leaves Egypt, he's got no altars. He's got a lot of stuff. And if you keep reading that passage, you may say, well, hold on, Trip." When Abram left Egypt, it said he left with a lot of stuff too. Pharaoh gave him a lot of things. Man, that dude's walking out of Egypt and he is loaded. Realize this, what he's leaving with is fool's gold. Because it was this very stuff that he got from ill-gotten gain that ends up splitting his entire family in the next chapter. Students, don't take the bait. Guys, don't buy the lie. Please understand this. Compromise always leads to consequences. And when it comes to obedience, what you lose in compromise is always greater than what you gain. 
you will always lose more than what you gain. But there was good news for Abram in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. So Abram left Egypt. He traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. And he was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. But from the Negev, he continued to travel toward Bethel. And there he set up camp between Bethel and Ai, where he had camped before, This was the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. See, Abram returned to Bethel. Bethel literally means the house of God. He returned to the altar that he previously built and it says from there he called on the name of the Lord. The last truth is this, no matter what, repentance always leads to restoration. Repentance always leads to restoration. We see that he goes back to the house of God. He goes back to the altar that he once built. He gets on his face and he calls out to God. What's he doing here? He is seeking God. Not the blessing of God, not the hand of God, but the face and the heart of God. I used to travel a good bit more than I travel now. And every time I would go somewhere, I go to Haiti several times a year. Every time I go somewhere, I try to bring back a small gift for my children. And after a while, I started to notice a pattern. First time or two I went, I'd come home and my kids would run and jump on me, daddy, daddy, daddy. And then later on they'd say, oh, by the way, did did you get us anything? After I'd done this for a while, I started to notice me walking in the door. The first thing was not daddy, daddy, but was, hey, what'd you get me? Where's it at? Where? They're digging through my bags. Where's the present? Where's my present? And I remember one day saying, hold on here. Do you want your daddy or do you want the present that your daddy brings? Students, here's the thing right here that we lose sight of. If you get the daddy you get everything that comes with it. If you get the daddy, you get everything that comes with it. But sometimes we get so short-sighted and we're like, where's the hand of God? Where's my stuff? Where's my provision? Where's this? Where's this? Where's this? And God's got to be set by saying, what about me? What about me? I love that Pastor Chuck says, if you get Jesus right, you'll get everything else right. What about him, the best advice I ever got when it comes to the question of what now or the future or figuring out the will of God or, or trusting God, Dr. Alice Cullinan in college told me, don't get more wrapped up in discovering the plan of God than you get wrapped up in God. Follow him and you will always be in his will. Pursue him and you will never have to worry about what now. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So what now? What lies ahead? The answer is I don't know. And let's be honest, you don't know either. But as you seek him, you can know that as a good father, he will never lead you astray. 
my little girl, Hadley, who's eight now, reminded me this morning of something that she said years ago when she was five and we were trying to rush them out the door for school. You know how crazy that can be. And I kissed all of them and we're like, go, 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 go. And she stopped at the door and she turned around and said, daddy, I want a hug. And I said, sweetheart, I already gave you a kiss. And she said, yeah, but I want a hug and I know my rights. <laughs> she reminded me of that this morning when I kissed her. She said, hug daddy and I know my rights. You know what? As a child of God, you've been afforded certain rights and privileges through the grace-filled sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Romans 8, 14 through 17, check this out. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit, we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If you take anything away, don't miss his students. Don't miss the fullness of knowing God by only looking for his hand and missing his heart. Don't miss the fullness, the beauty of knowing God by only looking for his hand and missing his heart. Because you know, he is always good and you are always loved. And no matter what happens, the days that are tough, the times where life makes no sense, the time when someone says, what now? And you say, I don't have a clue what now. You can always, always trust him. Let's bow our heads together. Maybe you're here today and you have never in your life experienced the wonderful fact that repentance leads to restoration. Man, you've heard the story of this greatest rescue plan of God sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay your sin debt and to pay my debt. And it sounds good. It almost sounds too good to be true. And you know that in order to receive that gift, you need to exchange your sin, your shame for everything that he wants to give you in life abundant. But like Abram in the beginning there, you've weighed the cost. You've even said, you know what? I believe that. But you've never taken that step. You've never taken that first step of faith and saying, God, I don't just believe this in my head. God, I really do put my trust in you. God, forgive me of my sins. Save me from my sins. I receive that gift of eternal life. And God, I choose you. I want to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. If that's you this morning and you've never done that, you right now in your heart with God can say, God, I believe. I turn from my sin. I turn to you. God, I want to receive all that you want to give me 
And God, I want to fully trust and I want to fully obey you now. Maybe you've done that before. And you've really trusted God and and maybe you've walked with God, but life happened and things got complicated and things got crazy. And somewhere along the way, you've said, you know what, this just doesn't make sense. I'm gonna help God out. Everyone's going in this direction. Let, Let me just take a step over here and see if it's better. Maybe this morning, you need to just go back to that altar Go back to that place and say, God, I trust you. And God, I seek your face. I seek your heart. And God, I trust you in your time. You're going to provide with your hand. But no matter how things look, no matter how things appear or what everyone else does, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient to you no matter what. Students this morning, Would you let that be the prayer of your heart? That God, I'm gonna take a step. No matter what anyone else does, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna trust you. And I wanna live in the fullness of all that you have for me. Father God, as we trust you, God, we know that you are always good. We know that we are always loved. And God, may you truly be honored in our lives as we put steps to our faith. May you use these students to change the world for your glory. God, may you use these parents and grandparents. May you use this church. And God, may we be an example, a display to the world that we know that we can trust our Father because he is a good good father. Thank you for the rights that we have as your children. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercy. Now, God, may we respond in our hearts in obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.